0: There is a flash flood warning for Denver metro area. Possibly one to two inches of rain within an hour or so about the time we're worshiping apparently. So we shall see. I don't know how good the drainage is around, around here, especially since they've tore up the, ground, the road right there. We have the call to worship. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. Bow hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. To stand and sing 218. 218. praise your name, God Almighty. Blessed be your victorious name over sin and the devil. We ask, God, for your continued strength in our life and our sanctification and our growth and maturity as we are conformed into the image of Christ day by day. Be with us this evening, we pray, especially as we worship your name, God, and that we, Lord, would cast aside all distractions. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm eighty nine B one through five. We do pray as we gather together this evening, God. We pray for your continued glory uh, in all the earth and through our meager efforts to glorify your name and thought, word, and deed and song and praise of worship of you as accepted through the blood of Christ Jesus. We ask in particular, God, as we sung Psalm 59 and we'll go through Psalm 35, Lord, as we meditate upon justice and righteousness, God in vindicating your people, Lord. We pray for such in society and the laws of land, God, and that you would be with your people, that you would, Lord, protect your people, and that your name would be vindicated across the world in the name of Christians, Lord, who are maligned and lied about God and um, undermined and especially, Lord, persecuted in other countries across uh, this world of ours in this fallen age in which we find ourselves in, God. Be with them, we pray. Watch over them, we ask God, our brothers and sisters who are under uh, tremendous hatred and attacks and injustices brought upon their body and soul. We ask God that you would help us, Lord, to pray accordingly, according to your will and according to your word, and for the good of your people, we ask and pray in particular. That you would be with your churches as well, that they would exercise and pray towards a justice and righteousness in all that we do with one another, especially in the Church of Jesus Christ, as we were reminded in Corinthians, where Paul admonishes uh, the weak Christians there at the Church of Corinth, Lord, that do they not have leaders uh, to judge and deal with matters amongst themselves, and difficulties and trials and tribulations, Lord, between uh, the members therein, and to Uh, Bring about proper judgment and justice and equity, God, among men, Christians in particular, so the world may know and see, uh, God, that we take such things seriously and we take, Lord, our love for one another seriously as well. We ask, God, that you be with us in our work situation. Uh, wherever we may find ourselves, whether retired, working part-time, Lord, or finding ourselves in a hard work situation, as we have some of our members who have to work on the Lord's Day, that you would be with them and give them perseverance and strength, God, and move the hearts of their employers, uh, give them access perhaps to better hours in the same company or perhaps a different company altogether. We ask, Lord, in particular, for those who need more funds as well, Uh, that uh, their companies would not be stingy if they are being stingy, God. Uh, And again, Lord, we ask and thank you for what employment we do have and that we, God, would be thankful before you for what you've given us. At the same time, Lord, uh, working to the end that we can uh, do more with what we have. Uh, to get to better pay and better hours, if possible, God, again, not for our own sake, but for the sake of our family and our friends and our churches, Lord, uh, so we can maintain the ministry, we can maintain our lives, livelihood and the life, the things that you've given us that we are blessed with through your providence. Help us, we pray, God, to have wisdom on the job, to have patience with our co-workers and our bosses, Lord, uh, to understand what we are to do and, and not to say at times, Lord, whatever the situation may be that is before us, And so, God Almighty, we pray uh, for continued work for all of us as we need it, and again for a strong economy in spite of what we certainly deserve as a nation. Lord, again, for the sake of your people, we pray uh, these things. We ask God for our health situation, medical situations that we find ourselves in, if some are not here. Because they are not feeling well, perhaps a heart condition or bronchitis or the like uh, ailments upon them, Lord, that you would be with them. Help them, God. We pray to persevere. They would not be discouraged. May they be healed and healed quickly, God. Give them doctors wisdom and understanding of their situation, we pray. and Indeed, for the rest of us to take care of our bodies, Lord, and to do what we can to persevere in our sicknesses. We rejoice that some of us who had been sick uh, are getting better, Lord, and that this will continue. Our God and Savior, we ask for the means to uh, maintain our health, Lord, and that any sickness that we have will be dealt with quickly and not to wipe us out for too long of a period of time, we pray. We ask, God, for continued access to good doctors, to good uh, medical help, and to good, again, to good means and occasions to avoid sicknesses. God Almighty, we pray. And so, Lord, also for healthy food and good access to water. Again, during a drought time that we find ourselves in, nevertheless, you've given us the rain, and we're thankful for that, God, and we pray for more such moisture in this semi-arid land. And, God, we ask, Lord Jesus, that we would not only take care of our bodies, but we would take care of our souls, that we read your word, that we would pray before you, Lord, bringing our prayer requests as you ask us, as your children, God Almighty and that you will not not uh, turn us away, but you will indeed hear us through Christ Jesus, Lord. We pray for our acceptance of the answer of whatever that may be, God. But we would always pray, read your word, Lord, and meditate thereon, and to have sweet fellowship with the saints, we pray. All for your glorious name's sake, we ask God, for continued growth and maturity, and to be more like Christ, we pray. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. Let us rise. Praise God, from whom all blessings fall. Praise Him, all creatures, here be Praise Him, above ye, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and We indeed are grateful, God Almighty, for the blessings you've given us in many ways and sundry fashions, and especially for the ability to give back what you have blessed us with as stewards of what you've given us, back to the work of the kingdom, we pray and ask God that it will indeed be multiplied greatly for your name's sake. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 35. Let us turn to Psalm thirty five. Let us listen attentively to the Word of God, Psalm thirty five. Plead my cause, O Lord, with those that strive with me, fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of a shield and buckler, and stand up for my help. Also draw out the spear and stop those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let those be put to shame and brought to dishonor, who seek after my life. Let those be turned back and brought to confusion, who plot my hurt. Let them be like chaff before the wind, and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord pursue them. For without cause... They have hidden their nets from me in a pit, which they have dug without cause for my life. Let destruction come upon him unexpectedly, and let his net that he has hidden catch himself. Into that very destruction let him fall. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord, it shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. Yes, the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. Fierce witnesses rise up. They ask me things that I do not know. They reward me, my, me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer would return to my own heart. I paced about as though he were my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one who mourns for his mother. But in my adversity, they rejoiced and gathered together, and attackers gathered against me. And I did not know it, so they tore at me and did not cease. With ungodly mockers at feasts, they gnashed at me with their teeth. Lord, how long will you look on and rescue me from their destructions, my precious life from the lions? I will give you thanks in the great assembly, I will praise you among many people. Let them not rejoice over me, who are wrongfully my enemies. Nor let them wink with the eye, who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but they devise deceitful matters against the quiet ones in the land. They also opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. This you have seen, O Lord. Do not keep silence. O Lord, do not be far from me. Stir up yourself and awaken to my vindication, to my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Ah, so we would have it. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who rejoice at my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who exalt themselves against me. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. My tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Let us pray. In this... Psalm, God, you worked in the heart of David to pen. Uh, We read of a plea of vindication, a plea, God Almighty, a plea for justice and righteousness, God, not just for David, as we know, as he represents the kingdom of Israel, and thus an attack upon the leadership of the church, and implicitly upon you, God, and ultimately even upon Christ Jesus, as we know he fulfilled All the prophecies of old, and part of those prophecies are of the enemies wishing to cast you down, and you have vindicated your Son, Christ Jesus, Lord, and we are vindicated in him as our Redeemer. And Thus, God, we, as we go through the psalm, may we be encouraged to pray for justice and protection, not simply for our own sake, but for God's people and for your glorious name, we pray. Amen. What shall we do with this psalm of judgment? For that is what it is about. The judgment, the false judgments in particular, against David, against God's people, and against the righteous cause of God's kingdom. These are often called imprecatory psalms. We had a couple of them earlier, although parts of those psalms, Psalm 14, another one, uh, were imprecatory, not the bulk of it. Here, almost everything here is imprecatory. Another word for that is uh, a curse, a prayer of a curse, or curse of judgment in particular. Not just a petty kind of, I curse you like a witch kind of a thing, but a cry of justice and righteousness and equity before God Almighty. These songs involved just such a thing, and vindication, as you see in the translation there, upon the enemies of God. During soft times, of course, such psalms seemed too harsh, Yet during hard times, wars, or torture of Christians, which occurs even today, although not in the West, such Psalms seem to make more sense. So, what do we do with them? And how are we to learn from the Psalms? First of all, let me quote Matthew Henry. He has this introduction to this Psalm. In singing this, this Psalm and praying over it, right, we can pray through the Psalms. I don't think I've emphasized that enough. We must take heed of applying it to any little peevish quarrels and enmity of our own. I'm not getting along well with my neighbor. Cast right. <laughs> curses of God's judgment upon him. And we must take heed of applying it uh, and, ex- of, and of expressing it by any uncharitable, revengeful resentments of injuries done to us. That is, more precisely, done to us in private affairs. That is, we shouldn't call upon God to curse someone who cut us off the road or stole even money from us. You go to the police and you ask for it and you get it back. And it's done with. For Christ has taught us to forgive our enemies and not to pray against them, but to pray for them as he did. And I will note, this is not Matthew Henry, this is my note, Christ did indeed pray for them, but he also judged them. So it's still not a call to never have judgment. I don't believe Matthew believes that. But one... He says two things. I'll read the one here. We may comfort ourselves with the testimony of our consciences concerning our innocency. Paul, uh, Paul, David does that several times in the psalm. I am innocent to come at me without cause. It's perfectly fine to say that. It's that sub theme again to remind us yes, we're sinners. But we're not absolute sinners. It's a relative category with respect to the saints of God. We are born again. We are sanctified. We do right things by the power of God's Spirit. And we shouldn't beat ourselves up saying, I'm a wicked sinner. I should never seek for justice. No, no, no. With references to those that are without, or that are in any way injurious to us, those who are coming after us without just cause, and with hopes that God will, in his own way and time, right us, or we would say vindicate us, and in the meantime, support us. There is a time to cry out for justice, and I'll talk a little more about that in particular in the sermon. He's reminding us that you can learn from the imprecatory psalms um, to use them aright. So with this broad background and the way uh, Matthew Henry reminds us, of these things, let us dig into the psalm. The first point, I have three points, a plea for physical protection. You're going to see why I have these two distinctions here, uh, physical protection and then legal protection. Verses 1 through 10 seem to be of a piece with respect to the physical protection, right? Where he talks about those fighting against me, he talks about a shield and a buckler, he talks about a spear, he talks about those seeking my life, they're trying to kill me. And, of course, that makes sense, given David and his job as a king to uh, harry and to seek out the enemies of God, the Philistines and the Amalekites and the like, as we read in 1 Samuel Wednesday night, and deliver God's people from their enemies. They, too, are going to try to kill him. Now, the background to this psalm, we don't know specifically a lot of the psalms, again, no accident in God's providence, are very broad. Not a lot of detail exactly what exactly is going on here. And so we think that this is probably when Saul was chasing David because that's about the only time that makes sense from what we know of his history that he would have this kind of cry out before our Lord and Savior. Uh, We read, But as for me, verse 13, When you were sick, I was praying for you. I was fasting for you. I was mourning for you. But on the flip side, you were hating me. That's what he's talking about there, and that seems to fit Saul. Somebody seeking to kill David, that also fits Saul. <laughs> it's a righteous plea, of course, verses 1 and 10, that it's his cause is righteous, it's upright, he's innocent. Plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive against me. Deliver the poor from him who is too strong, and the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. That is, the righteous poor, they, they have no cause other than the strong man is stronger than them, and he wants to beat up on their bullies. Either economically, they're poor in poverty, or poor by strength, and the stronger man just likes to pick on them, or whatever the reason is. And so he cries out for protection, because he has a righteous cause. This plead before his Lord and Savior to fight against them, verses 1 through 6 in particular. 1b, fight against those who fight against me. Take hold. Stand up for me. Be my deliverer, my salvation. I am your salvation, the same word for spiritual redemption. It's the same, both physical salvation and spiritual salvation in the Hebrew word. And the physical salvation, as we know in the life of Paul, was real. God worked things in providence both through miracles, so that would be above and beyond providence, right? And then through the ordinary providence, just that he's very skillful, he's very clever. Uh, uh, David was, he had very strong and powerful men. And they fought and they won. God gave them deliverance. There's a defensive deliverance when he talks about God being his shield and buckler. A buckler is a smaller shield. Uh, And there's also an offensive deliverance that he describes as drawing out the spear. God, fight for me. Be my defense and my offense. In these first opening verses. And then he has a theme here, a sub-theme in the Psalms, of these kind of Psalms here, crying out to God for justice. Uh, In verse 8, let destruction come upon him unexpectedly, and let the net that he has made be his own destruction, that he would fall into his own traps. That's a common. We see that in the Psalms, and in, in, in particular in the Proverb as well. A couple of proverbs that they would fall into their own trap. But what's interesting, besides that prayer, is up to this point, um, he says a few ways of speaking and crying out for justice and vindication uh, that David asks at times for less than full punishment. Because it's not just deliverance in the sense of, oh no, uh, get me out of here, but punish my enemies. That's what the imprecatory Psalms are about. Punish my enemies. Let those be put to shame and be brought to dishonor. That's a little different than saying, may they be killed, isn't it? It may happen depending on whatever that net is. It just says a net or a pit, all right, and that they would fall into it. You may or may not die into that. Uh, But uh, even we see here in these imprecatory psalms, these psalms of justice and vindication, that it's not always just kill my enemies, kill my enemies. Rather, bring something upon them, teach them a lesson, put them to shame, he says, for they seek after my life, verse 4. Bring confusion upon them. May they be like chaff in the wind, and they're just blown all across the earth, as it were. They have no power, and they just fall apart in terms of their effectiveness and combat. Now, to go back again to his righteous plead with respect to his innocence in verse seven, David gives them no cause for without cause, they have hidden their net from me in the pit, which they have dug without cause for my life. He says it again there 's no reason that this should be happening at all. The injustice is palpable it 's so obvious it 's not like I kind of did something, and it wasn 't that bad. And they have a disproportionate response to me. I did absolutely nothing wrong. In fact, as I read earlier in verses 12 and following, uh, I I fasted for them, I prayed for them, I weeped for them when they were sick. I did good to them, and they repaid my goodness with evil. That's the kind of people he's dealing with. Uh, So again, as Matthew Henry reminds us, it's not about pet peeves. It's not like having problems with your neighbors, someone cuts you off, or even if they steal money from you. Uh, but it is rank wicked people, bringing about destruction uh, upon God's people, upon God's uh, kingdom, in fact. And so here he cries out, as we are all called, all called to cry out, when we are innocent before God and we need to do that, that we are innocent. You can say that. It's fine. And there is no cause. Yes, you are sinners saved by grace, and that you are not only innocent with respect to certain accusations, in fact, the early church, as you recall, was accused of cannibalism. That's a lie. It's not true. You are innocent of that charge. You're being accused of hating women today, for example, to take a modern example. That's also a lie. You you shouldn't just sit there and say, well, you know, I'm a sinner, I guess maybe I have that something inside me like that. You don't believe in that. You don't hate women. It's a lie. You are innocent. These are false charges, and you should pray accordingly, as David prays accordingly. He is innocent. And so his plea there, his plea of physical protection in his first opening verses, is a plea that we can also have, of course, uh, from, in general, not with respect to imprecatory psalms and and asking justice upon um, a criminal that you don't know what's going to happen to you. These aren't, imprecatory psalms aren't about uh, enemies that could be or aren't. They're real-life enemies, very hateful people. But you can pray, however, of course, uh, that God will protect you physically. If you're walking in a dangerous neighborhood because you have to finish a job, perhaps, or you have to go find your family, your parents, or, or something like that, you ask for protection. God will bring protection. He brings protection to you and His providence. And of course, as we know, part of that protection is simply uh, you're praying and you're alert. You're not being foolish and saying, well, you know, I can do whatever I want in whatever situation I want because God's in the charge, like you're a good Muslim. They're very reckless as I've pointed out uh, before in the Middle East, because, you know, God does whatever he wills. No, God has given us a way, and prayer is part of that way, and the common sense that God has endued us with to physically protect ourselves and pray for physical protection. There's nothing wrong with that, everything right about it, because the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're supposed to take care of it. Part of that is prayer to protect the body. Thankfully, we don't have war. <laughs> David has a war context here, of course, or uh, not properly a war with respect to Saul, but... Um, The government's trying to kill him, essentially. Second point, the plea of legal protection, verses 11 through 26. Verses 11 through 26. We see the legal connection here. We see a change in what's spoken of. Before, it's bucklers and spears and lives being taken away. Here, it's a fierce witnesses have risen up. And the rest of these verses talk about mouths talking and lips and teeth gnashing. And so that's obviously the imagery of words. And the ninth commandment. This word for witness is a virtually technical word uh, used in the Old Testament with respect to law courts. You ask for a witness to come forward. It's not used in the way some people talk about witnesses today. Well, I saw something that happened. I was a witness to the event. Oh, this is exciting. Let's put it on Instagram or something. Now, this is a law court language. So not only uh, is his enemy pursuing him with a sword and trying to kill him, uh, but they're going to the courts apparently, and using false witnesses to undermine his authority and power. As we know, at the time of Saul, he was a general, amongst all the other generals. So this is perhaps going on on the side, in the background, we don't know the details, but we do know he's talking about false or fierce evil witnesses. The word vindication, in verses 23 and 24. Stir yourself up and wake to my vindication. Verse 24, vindicate me, O Lord. Again, language of the law courts. Of being before the judge. <clears throat> and so this is obviously witnesses with, with malicious lies saying things and making claims he can't give counter answers to. Uh, we've seen, um, maybe you've had that scenario yourself in your own life where someone says, Well, my witness says, and you have no witness to counteract them. It's just you, you. What, what can you say? They ask me things I do not know. I can't I can't answer to that other man who wasn't there. I never saw the guy. Something is going on here, and he's very, very much um, caught off guard, and so he cries before God, as he only can. There are liars, verses 11 through 16. They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. With ungodly mockers at feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. They're not saying good things, obviously. They're saying bad things about him. They reward evil for good, and the good that he does in verse 12 that we read to the sorrow of my soul is verse 13 or following when they were sick my clothing was sackcloth i paced about as though they were my friends or brother i bowed down heavily as one who mourns for his mother this is someone close to him at least close enough that he would do this he doesn't quite call them brothers but as though they were his brother or his friend They rejoiced in his adversity. This is what the evil they did in verses 15 to 16. But in my adversity they rejoiced and gathered together and attackers against me. As we know here, uh, I would argue that the attackers are not physical attackers, but verbal attack and legal attacks. They tore at me with what? Their teeth, verse 16, because they are false and fierce and evil witnesses, verse 11. The metaphor carries on here. That's how uh, strong and powerful the wickedness is in the courts that David is dealing with. These liars rejoicing in his difficult times. And he cries out for rescue, verses 17 and 18. Lord, how long we look on my trials and tribulations. Rescue me, my precious life from the lions. Help me, God Almighty. I can go to no one else. The lion, of course, Fits the imagery here in verse 16, just before. They gnash at me with their teeth. Lions are going to eat you. They are like lions in the courts, ready to pounce on me with their sharp teeth and destroy my reputation or whatever the case is in particular. But he gives a promise of praise. I will give you thanks, verse 18, the great assembly, I will praise you among the people. This will happen. Whatever your immediate answer to my cry for justice and vindication, for my innocence, for my enemies... I will praise you. Are we ready to praise God no matter what? When it comes in his time? He doesn't have it yet. He doesn't have deliverance here, but he's talking as though it will happen because we know what ultimately happened when Christ Jesus returns. You will have full vindication from all the lies about you and about God's church and about Christ himself. It's a promise of praise because it's a praise in a psalm of faith. He believes that God is sovereign and that God does listen to his people, and so he will praise him even now. Uh, the liars, as I hinted at before, I have a little section here um, unpacking the suggestion, specifically what the, who these liars are, what's their relation to David, something close enough that he prayed for them. It could have been former soldiers and other generals he was close to, not quite brothers, but someone, a comrade in arms, perhaps. And they treat him like dirt and less than dirt. I mean, I use that idiom. I don't think the idiom fits here. It's stronger than that. They're ruining his power and his reputation as a potential king in Israel through the court system, apparently. or something that serious is going on here. Not like, again, someone calling you names and making you look bad on social media or something. It's worse, much worse than that. And the person he's crying for, he's humbling himself in sackcloth and ashes, must be a fellow Jew. What's the equivalent today? Another Christian. I mean, can you imagine that? Christian, fellow Christians, taking you to court? Well, I mean, the Corinthians can. <laughs> As Paul, Paul tells them, what do you think you're doing? Going to court, going to the secular courts when you can deal with it in the church. What's your problem? Well, David had this problem back then, and we have this problem today. And so, the sin is serious, and the cause is great, so David cries out before God. Paul appealed to Rome. Paul admonishes the Corinthians. Christ himself, as we know, challenged his enemies verbally. He didn't turn the other cheek in that sense. He was very strong against the Pharisees. And even fled at times because it wasn't his time to be exposed. Vindicate me, verses 19 to 26. They are wrongfully my enemies. Let them not rejoice over me. Those who hate me without cause. Again, he says, there's no reason why they should be doing this to me. The Philistines simply hated the Jews. They were enemies, arch enemies, like the Amalekites and the Canaanites and the rest of them. In the case of Saul, if that's who he's referring to, Saul clearly was jealous. He didn't want to lose his power. Jealous of what he had and envious of what David was going to have, <laughs> essentially. Um, and so there, again, there's no cause to have that kind of hatred towards David. Hey, he doesn't want to keep silent. He doesn't want God to keep silent. You have seen this, O Lord. Do not keep silent, O Lord. Do not be far from me. It sounds like God is not always there at times. Nevertheless, he prays. And we ought to pray even though it feels like to ourselves, because it's just our feelings. That like God is not there. The circumstance is so bad, it seems to getting worse and worse. You pray, nevertheless, David kept praying. Um, And your situation may get really bad, but unless I suppose you have someone coming after you with a sword, and the power of an army, (laughs) it's not quite that bad yet. You can always pray. If he can pray, all the more is the point. You can pray and ought to pray before our God and ask for help, even though it feels like he is silent. Yes, David may have to wait. He may not have his answer immediately. But he will pray that God would stir himself up and vindicate David and his innocent cause before the world. Because, of course, in the case of Saul, it is now a nationwide event. People know what's going on. The king is coming after David and his men. The witnesses lie about me. May the earthly judges discover their lies, is the indication here. Stir up yourself, God, and awaken to my vindication. How can God vindicate him? But rather, through the judge more than likely is his prayer, so that he would expose the lies of the false witnesses, the fierce witnesses who are eager to devour him. And certainly God would discover it ultimately in the return of Christ and Jesus. To vindicate is to publicly prove the innocence and expose their lies. It's a twofold aspect. To be vindicated in the courts, you're innocent, is to show that they were dead wrong (laughs) in their accusations before the judge. If one's right, one's wrong. That's all there is to it. It's a bifurcation there. To vindicate. To plead for justice, verses 25 to 26. Let them not say in their hearts, Ah, so we have it. That is, we have him, we get to do what we want. Let them not say, we have swallowed him up. We succeeded in devouring him with our lies." <clears throat> and so, his prayer is that God would stop their lies, verse 25, on the flip side. He's saying, let them not say. And let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion and rejoice in my hurt. So it's a twofold prayer of vindication that they would be exposed in their lies. They could not say, we won, we succeeded. And furthermore, that they would be publicly shamed and brought to mutual confusion. Because they rejoice at my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who exalt themselves against me. So again, these kind of psalms are not simply asking for justice in this broad sense of, I'm innocent, God, but also punish my enemies. And here the punishment isn't kill them. Again, a reminder. It's kind of interesting. I never noticed this before. But simply, they'll just be brought to shame. Public shame. Because in fact, public shame can be used for what? Repentance. It's good to bring abortion doctors to public shame. (laughs) Murderers of babies. They ought to be downright embarrassed and humbled. And so we can see, I think, when we understand the use of God's law, if you pray in precatory prayers this way, <clears throat> and I'll talk about this here, I'm almost there, with that mindset, not the mindset of again of pettiness, but for justice and God's truth and in innocent lives, that you want them to repent. They could come to repentance because they're downright embarrassed. They've been caught by the judge, etc., etc. So this brings me to a summary of the matter. When does David play for justice? When does David play for justice? I think we can see that here. We go through this text. Not whenever he felt like it, or at least he shouldn't have. I mean, he was a son like us. It perhaps happened. When the cause was great, like Saul trying to murder him with an army. And not just when the cause was great, because he could fight back in those causes, and he does, he has a great cause in defending Israel against the Philistines when he's king, when he's in power. But when the cause is great, and he's helpless, right? He's obviously helpless here. If he wasn't, He wouldn't have this prayer. He would have been victorious, and he would have won over the Philistines, and won over Saul, and he would have a psalm of praise. So if you think about it, these kind of psalms are in the context of, I have no power. There's nothing I can do but plead before God to bring justice somehow, some way in this life and day and age, if possible, of course. I mean, David doesn't always give the caveats any more than Christ gives all the caveats. It's if possible, if God would do it now. If not, he has to wait until Christ returns. He knows that in his prayers. And we ought to know that as well. Now, we can imitate David. And we ought to imitate David as a godly man as we imitate the other saints of old, because they are described as godly men and women, uh, especially there by their actions in the great chapter of Hebrews 11, where it even mentions that they went to war out of faith. Now, of course, if it's something supernatural, don't expect that. Morally forbidden, I don't know, David murdered somebody. (laughs) He did it indirectly, to be sure, but he was a mastermind of a murderer. We imitate and learn from the saints when they are following God and they're not in sin. And I will contend to you, David's not in sin writing this psalm. Simply not. The New Testament itself has pleas for justice, brothers and sisters. We can call them imprecatory to some extent. Second Thessalonians 3.1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. First Corinthians 15.25. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. And that's the, obviously, the context of judgment and justice. Second Timothy 4.14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Remember him? Hardly, other than the name, because it kind of stands out. We know nothing about this guy, other than Paul tells us in Second Timothy, as he writes to the pastor, young pastor Timothy, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. What? Listen to that. That's pretty strong. That's Paul, the preacher of grace and love, asking for an imprecatory Prayer. Bring judgment upon my enemies. You also must be aware of him, for he greatly resisted our words. He's still an enemy of the church and of my gospel. Our gospel. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. So you have a contrast here. Coppersmith, may God repay him according to his works. And what were his works? He did me much harm. But, in verse 16, at my first defense, no one stood with me. Someone's coming after me. It's a public matter. I have no Christians defending me. They all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. No imprecatory psalm against them, but rather mercy and grace. All within a span of three verses. Matthew Henry says we ought to have careful prayers if we are brought to this place. And I think we ought to pray and meditate upon these things. I think we're coming to this place in the West, uh, not only with abortion, uh, outright murdering kids. Um, now, with the torturing of kids by giving them drugs in schools without parents noting, notice, noticing it uh, because they claim that they are a different sex now, a different gender. And many many Christians, I don't think, are aware. It's not just all oh, these drugs and hormones. She will lose her voice for the rest of her life. She will sound like a man. She will not be able to have kids. What do you call that? That's heinous. Absolutely heinous. And that's before they start cutting up body parts. This is where we are in the West. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, And so we ought to, I think, heed the... The psalmist uh, heed our forefathers who were careful in dealing with the imprecatory psalms. Again, it's not just something you whip out because you're angry, but for a righteous and public cause, especially for the cause of Christ's kingdom with enemies. He says, Matthew Henry says, we ought to apply it these kind of psalms to the public enemies of Christ and His kingdom, typified by David and His kingdom, to resent the indignities done to Christ's honor with the movies and the politicians and the like, uh, bad-mouthing our Lord and Savior is a very serious thing. We ought to take the first table very seriously. To pray to God, to plead the just and injured cause of Christianity and serious godliness, and to believe that God will in due time glorify his own name in the ruin of all the irreconcilable enemies of his church. Only God knows who's irreconcilable. We do not. And so when we pray, I want to make a note here. It's kind of interesting that the psalmists don't list names. And these imprecatory psalms. I don't think that's necessarily to say we can never list names. Uh, We can think of historical examples (laughs) on Pol Pot and Stalin, Um, but and that um, and so this is Matthew Henry's careful caveat. Um, Other Puritans have that as well. I haven't found a lot of quotes on that. So no one has a book on this that I can find, but to be careful. But at the same time, to realize justice is real, and God tells us to pray for justice and protection of His church. And justice includes punishment of His enemies, how He wills and deems it. The enemies of His church, not just your personal enemies, brothers and sisters. And lastly, plea for rejoicing, verses 27 to 28. It's a group rejoicing. Let them shout for joy, who favor my righteous cause. Let's all celebrate together as God defends me in the courts, or on on the battlefield, or in society defends His church. To rejoice when others rejoice is a good thing indeed, especially when it comes to matters of justice. To rejoice in God's vindication that God will protect us, of course, in his time. And even he does it right now, we're protected. It's not miraculous, but it's real. Providence is real. He says, um, let the Lord God Almighty be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Verses 27 and 28. When serious injustice occur against Christians, especially the churches as a whole, in God's kingdom cause, as Matthew Henry summarizes, let us cry out to our heavenly judge, for Christ our Lord will indeed vindicate us. If not now, he will certainly do it later. For justice and for righteousness, we pray. And all the while waiting upon his deliverance, as the psalmist does here, ready to praise his name when it happens in God's time. Let us pray. Help us, God Almighty, to continue to wait upon you upon the deliverance of our body and our soul. Help us, God, to pray carefully, to pray aright, and to pray justly in your name alone. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing Psalm 35, first page only. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.